Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Stand Up Tragedy. If you've listened before, welcome back. And if this is your first listen, then welcome. In these podcasts, we bring you the best tragic performers from our Stand Up Tragedy Live Nights. We invite all kinds of performers to get on the stage and share something tragic with our audience. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but hopefully we all take something away from it. Maybe we even learn something. Our last live night was at the Dog Star in Brixton at the end of March, and we've already brought you two fantastic musical acts from that evening. So it's time for a storyteller. Alan Girod has made his name performing comedy and telling stories at true storytelling events. He's originally from Australia, but currently in London, and he's been making a real splash at the Spark London nights in Brixton, Hackney and Little Venice. For stand-up tragedy, Alan told us a tale from his teens. Hello. Hello. So it's uh, 1984 in Perth, Western Australia, and I was 15 years old. And, and you all remember that age, you know. Uh, the, the cool guys would talk about going to parties and, and being drunk and getting with girls. And, and I, w- I would listen in on this and, and compare it to, to where my life was at which was uh, chess, um, looking at pictures of World War II fighter planes and, uh, and building Lego, you know. Um, I, I had only one friend, Tony Drayton, and uh, he only had one friend too. Um, we, we sort of had this rivalry uh, where we, we, each of us would see who could avoid being the last one picked for any sporting team. Uh, because we went to a very competitive uh, all-boys private grammar school and uh, it was, you know, obviously pretty exclusive. But I came from a totally different world to the rest of that school. Uh, um, uh, I was just part of a single-parent family. And uh, back then, you know, there was still a lot of stigma around that. And uh, basically, Mum worked night shift and put every cent she had into our education, my brother, my sister and I. Uh, so, as a result, you know, we didn't have much. Uh, we were, had to live in subsidised government housing and the house we had was really, really crappy. Uh, we didn't even own a car and uh, we're on the other side of town, so it was quite a, a bus ride to school each day. Um, so, although I didn't fit in, I really liked it there and I desperately wanted to stay at the school, but I knew starting year 10 that this would be my final year because the fees just kept going up and the reality was mum just couldn't afford it anymore. But as luck would have it, uh, the Year 10 social was coming up. And uh, this was my final chance to be included, to be one of the guys. And uh, basically our school uh, invited the Year 10s from an all-girls school and to, to come to our school uh, for a, a disco that was going to go for three hours on a Saturday night. Brilliant. And, and basically our classes turned into a boiling pot of testosterone as uh, all the cool guys talked about, you know, the girls they knew from that other school and which ones like them or their mates or which girlfriend they were bringing from another school. I thought, how many guy, girlfriends do these guys have? You know, I realised that I needed some serious help. So I talked to the only person I could trust, my friend Tony Drayton. You see... Tony's father was a reverend and so that meant Tony had to go to Sunday school and that's where he met girls. (laughs) In fact, he'd already met a girlfriend there just recently and she was going to the exact school that was coming to the social. 
So I thought maybe, maybe Tony could find a girlfriend for me. So for weeks, I just pestered him, you know. Um, you know, I, I asked him, you know, are, are there any other girls in Sunday school, you know, any, any single ones? Um, what, what, what about your girlfriend, you know? Does, does she have an, any friends going to social... And bingo, she did. There was a friend at, at his girlfriend's school coming to the social. Her name was Nadine. And after a little bit of coaxing, she agreed to meet me at the social. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I... I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know what she looked like. And uh, I realised I didn't know how to talk to girls. Uh, I didn't even know how to act cool. You know, the, the other guys, they thought it was hilarious that Tony Drayton, of all people, was setting me up with a girl. <laughs> but I didn't care because I had a date. And all I had to do was get to the social and I'd be like, one of the guys, this was going to be so cool. Now, obviously, uh, Mum couldn't afford to, to buy me a new outfit, so I thought it would be sensible to just wear the best clothes I had. And, uh, you know, come the big day, or night, as the case may be, I got out my only jacket. It was my favourite. It was brown and had, like, light beige flecks woven through it. And uh, it was polyester lining, so, you know, when you slid into it, it felt really smooth. Now, of course, I had been growing a lot that year, so the... Sleeves were a bit short, but um, I just thought if I adjusted my posture, <laughs> it'd probably look okay. And uh, the, the pants I had, really good quality, you know, and the, and the perfectly ironed creases right down the middle. I had my favourite caramel brown leather shoes. Hush Puppies were the brand. And uh, no laces, no, just zips and Velcro tabs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I had my favourite big collared cream shirt button up down the centre, you know, pretty sensible. It was actually my older brother's. It was a few years old, but it was still in very good condition. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I realised, you know, I didn't have the outgoing personality for an outrageous hairdo, you know, so I just made sure I just had my normal hairdo and I just made sure that the part was perfectly straight. <laughs> and altogether, I thought I looked pretty smart, you know. Oh, and the only thing that ruined it was we had to take a plate of food. And Mum insisted on me taking something healthy, which was brown bread sandwiches with cheese and Vegemite. Um, If you're not sure, Vegemite's like supercharged Marmite, but, you know. So, anyway, uh, the big night's there. Um, Oh, buses in our area, they they finished at uh, about five o'clock. And um, we we didn't own a car, you know, so Mum called for a cab and great it was going to be here in 15 minutes but it wasn't another 15 minutes went by there's still no cab mum called again and half an hour later still that the cab hadn't arrived i was just thinking please 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 come on come on come on come on it's got to be here it's got to be here any second now any second now mum called again and as she's explaining the situation to the the operator for like the third time any distant engine noise i'm looking up and down the street i'm thinking the cab's got to be here soon but but we both knew what was going on we knew what the operator wasn't saying see our area you know is rough and a couple of neighbors had a reputation for for jumping out on cab fares and one time a driver even got assaulted so you know the drivers Figured, what are, what are the actual chances? You know, they, they didn't believe that there was a kid in this area, on this street, going to a grammar school on a Saturday night. So there I am, looking smart, 
with my plate of cheese and Vegemite sandwiches and my mum walking up to the nearest highway. We figure it's the only option left, right? Uh, We've got to try and hail a cab in the passing traffic, but none of them would stop. And the sun's gone down. And uh, I'm making, like, happy chit-chat with my mum, trying to pretend that everything's okay. Inside my head, there's another conversation going on. What's Nadine going to think? Um, what, what do I say to her? You know, I hope she doesn't think that I, that I stood her up. I mean, this just isn't fair. I mean, why does it always have to be this way? You know, I hate it that we don't have any money. I, I hate it that we're not normal. And I really hate that I have to stand here with these stupid sandwiches. Eventually, a cab stopped. And I got in and I couldn't believe it. You know, it was awesome. I had the whole back seat to myself. It was a little bit bouncy in the middle. And then the ride to the social, you know, was quiet and smooth. And then the driver, he was, he was a nice guy, you know? And he was a good driver too. You could, you could tell uh, just the way he was holding the steering wheel, you know, and he was, he was relaxed and, and in control. And I wondered, what would it be like to have a dad driving? I got to the social and it was nearly two hours late. And the senior master looked at me really weird and asked if I was okay, you know, if it was a problem. I said, no, 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 so, sorry, sir, sorry for being late. I'm okay, thanks. I took the sandwiches in, I put them down on the table next to some party pie crumbs and these, these little metal cups that had, like, pink mayonnaise and bits of lettuce in them. And the music it drew me into the main hall and there's Tony. Shit, he... He's dressed like one of the guys from Duran Duran. He, he looks really cool. How did that happen? His girlfriend, she's, she's got this beautiful smile and she, she's dressed like a movie star and he's got his arm around her and, and she's like leaning into him and they're laughing and... Man, that must be a great Sunday school. <laughs> I walk straight up to Tony and... Um, he tried to introduce me to his girlfriend and uh, I, I just tried to explain what was, what was going on, you know. It was like it wasn't my fault, you know. It was just that cab wouldn't come. I mean, you know, you know how it is, you know. I mean, we don't have a car. But where, where's Nadine, you know? Is, is she all right? Do you, do you think I'd still be able to talk to her? You know, is, is she angry at me? Where, where is she? He just points. I look over and there's a girl walking towards her. That, that must be Nadine. I, I don't know what to say. But I figure I just, I just got to be a man. I, I just got to tell her the truth and it should be okay, Right? Oh, hi, my name's Alan. I'm the guy who's supposed to meet you. I'm so... She didn't even look at me. In, in fact, she, she turned away and sort of put her nose up in the air. I, I think she was really annoyed. I, I didn't want to leave it like that. I, I tried to go back to Tony to ask him his advice. You know, he's obviously cool, um, but he was too busy having fun. For the last hour of the social, I watched... Nadine and Tony and his girlfriend and a couple other people just sort of dance in a circle and I hovered around the outside a couple of times. I, I just wanted to explain to Nadine, you know, just have that chance. And I just needed to, to get eye contact with her, so I just kept waiting for her to look at me and just give me that permission, you know, give me the little in. But she never did. And I kept trying to understand why she wouldn't talk to me, but I couldn't figure it out. I mean, was, was it because I was late or because I was me? Thanks.
Thanks, Alan, for sharing such an intimate story with us. I really enjoyed it and related to it a lot, and I hope that the audience also felt that way. For the Stand Up Tragedy team, what we're trying to get from tragedy is a cathartic experience. But what does performing tragedy feel like for Alan? It's pretty cathartic, actually. I, uh, I didn't intend it to be that way. I'm just... I'm an introverted exhibitionist, I suppose. So, <laughs> um, I, I like sharing stories, and uh, maybe that comes from the fact that when I, when I was younger, you know, I was incredibly introverted, and I, and I never talked to anyone about anything that was going on. And then later in life, as I got more confidence, I found uh, getting up on stage and, and speaking about true things was actually really good fun. Yeah, and I found that uh, everybody else has pretty much experienced the same thing. I heard Dave say it on one of his podcasts for the website, actually, and I totally agree that, uh, you know, tragedy is just the, the flip side to comedy, and, and I think any, any sort of event or performance or story or whatever that's dabbling in that can, can easily just flick, flick between the two, and that they really do complement each other. To find out where Alan is performing next, you can find him on Facebook by searching for his name, which is Alan with two L's, A-L-L-A-N. Girod, G-I-R-O-D. And you can also follow him on Twitter, where he's at Alan Girod. You might even catch him at one of the Spark London nights where he's been telling stories. You can find out when the next one of those is happening at www.sparklondon.com. Although he's going to Australia, he'll be back again soon. And we have more storytellers to bring to you, as well as spoken word artists, comedians, and more over the next few weeks on this podcast. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, and you can stream it for free using the Stitcher Smart Radio app that you can download to your smartphone. Let us share our tragic news with you directly using our Twitter feed, where you can follow us at Standup for Tragedy. Or you can like us or friend us on Facebook by searching for Stand Up Tragedy. All this and more is collected on our website, www.standuptragedy.co.uk. So keep sharing and keep learning from the tragedy in your life. But for now, this tragedy is over. This podcast was produced by Bryony Hawkins and recorded by Stephen Harvey. All of our music was created by Sam Wilkinson, who can be contacted at radiojuan at ymail.com, which is spelled radio, H-W-A-N, at ymail.com.